evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast. As you guys know, the only podcast dedicated to the love and revival of our beloved drive-in culture. Joined, as always, by my co-host and general manager extraordinaire, Mark. Say hello, my friend. Hello. And uh, that was a good one. And also (laughs) joining us today, we got Jeff, who I uh, lovingly refer to as Jeff, say hello, Jeff. <laughs> hey, am... hello. Hi. That, here's the confusion. Yes, yeah, that's the... right. This it is what we deal with on the lot. We haven't introduced our guest yet, but you're experiencing in verite form what happens when both of these guys are together at the drive-in. Yep. When I yell out Jeff, both of these guys come running. So, oh, spoiler oh. alert: we do have our good friend, film collector, and film aficionado. An all-around great guy, Jeffrey C. in the house. Say hello, Jeffrey C. So they know what you sound like. Yeah, now, now uh, I have it correct. Now, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good. It's gonna happen multiple times during this show, so we might as well just get it out of the way now. (laughs) (laughs) So our relationship, Jeff, personally, me and you, goes back. Gosh, um, I'm going to say at least seven years, our first trip, maybe second trip to Monster Mania, we had a guy come up to us. Of course, we're at Monster Mania to promote, this might have been 2015, 2016, out to promote what we do, 35 millimeter for life, only retro drive-in, all that stuff, set up at a vendor booth. And up comes a guy who's holding a film reel Um, I believe it was a whole can. You had the whole entire can with you. And right away, we we hit it off. This guy who literally lives and breathes 35 millimeter and his connection to Monster Mania and uh, the film community, it's it's pretty precious. So why don't you uh, give us a little rundown of what's your connection with Monster Mania, being that that's how we originally connected? Well, I do audiovisual work along with Scott Kenley for Monster Mania. And I've been doing that kind of work with Monster Mania since the first one at the Clarion Inn. So that's probably like 2001, 2002. Yeah, there are what, like 45 of these things now? Like 53, 54 or something like that. Yeah, they're going to have four of this year. I have been showing movies them for quite a few years the the, the interesting thing is that they give me blu-rays and dvds to show but if we have a film print we would prefer to show the film print it's a lot more fun to run and a lot of people really appreciate seeing those reels spinning and hearing the sound of that projector in the background while they're enjoying their favorite horror film so that really adds to the ambiance. That adds to the whole experience of that. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's no secret that you are incredibly passionate about 35 millimeter. It's why I fell in love with oh, you. Gosh. I've never heard somebody speak so passionately 
about 35 millimeters. So let's go back a little bit before we go all the way back. So 2001, <laughs> uh, were you like involved in a film community? Were you a collector at that point when Dave and the Monster mm -hmm. Media crew came to you? Yeah, I was a collector at that point. In fact, I was showing movies at another movie conference. It's a, it's a classic horror movie conference, Monster Bash. And that's yes. hosted by Ron Adams and, and, and the family, the Adams family, I like to call them. And <laughs> right outside of Pittsburgh, <laughs> they started, I believe in, uh, oh, I forgot where they started. When I got there, they were in Butler, Pennsylvania, and now they're in Cranberry Township because yeah. the show has grown so much. And in showing movies, we showed a lot of 16 millimeter movies, uh, Karloff, Creature from the Black Lagoon, yeah, the, the whole nine. Bella Lugosi, the, the, those kinds of, of, of movies. And Dave Hagen of Monster Mania was a vendor there and, and a frequent visitor of Monster Bash at yeah. the time. And that's when he thought he wanted to do a show, his own show in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yeah. And he saw what I did with the 16 millimeter projection and everything like that. And he asked me if I would uh, be interested in showing movies at his, at his event. And of course, before he finished asking, I just <laughs> immediately said, yes. Yeah. Hey, Jeffrey, would you? Yes. <laughs> well, oh. where, where does this love of film come from? Like, Take us way back now. You know, what was that first experience with 35 millimeter um, or working with film that really kind of connected your heart? And when did you start collecting? You know, it really started with my father and grandfather who used to take home movies with their standard eight millimeter cameras, respectively. And when we had movie night at our house or our grandparents' house, I was just so fascinated by these reels and this this black tape that I didn't know was film right. come to life on the big screen. So it started when I was quite young. I was probably about three or four when I when I saw that. And just every time we had a movie night, it was a treat to a three or four year old little oh dude. Gosh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so you look at a it's 400 foot of film and to, to a to a three-year-old 400 feet of film is huge you know like, oh. <laughs> endless yeah i don't think yeah. about that you know because i didn't have that in my childhood but i'm sure it's the same case yeah it's for amazing. all you guys is you know to experience a home movie at a certain point you weren't oh, popping yeah. in the vhs you were you were running your home video your home projector running a home that's right running a home projector and then when we lived in New Bronx, New York at the time, and my uh, grandparents were in South Jersey, so we, we went between New York and New Jersey a lot. And when we moved to Maryland, I was 10 years old, went to the elementary school, Brian Woods Elementary School in Columbia, Maryland. The media center specialist, Brian Woods Elementary School, was an avid film collector, wow. major. And so to a 10 year old watching these big, gigantic 16 millimeter reels that to me, that's monstrous to me. Like, whoa. 
And to a kid, lack of a better term, I thought it was neato. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that is enough to hook you. You know the the magical experience of film. You oh, know yeah. the discovery of the magic of how it actually works is something that a lot of people Amazing. really. Uh, don't get to discover you know they don't get to peek into booths they never had that experience as a kid um so right, when they right. come in and look at our our film reels running uh it's really like magic on display where it's they've never oh, been man. able to see behind that curtain but so tell you. so obviously i i take it that that teacher was a bit of an inspiration oh yeah uh, uh, quite quite an inspiration and quite an influence in my film collecting that's when I discovered that I could actually own a print of Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie or own a, a Laurel and Hardy movie. Yes. I had no idea where to get them, but I could actually own a print, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he was, and we still keep in touch to this day, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's amazing. Yep, we still keep in touch to this day. We're Facebook friends and the whole nine yards. Yeah. And I acquired his collection back in 2011. Stop. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. See, yeah. see that's the perfect crossover. I I've talked about it several times on this podcast, being physical media lovers and collectors yep. as yep. we all are and many of our listeners are. You always uh worry about what's going to happen with this precious collection of mine, you know, years down know. the line, but you know, it's always great to hear when they uh, the, the, a precious collection goes into the right hands or loving hands. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was quite honored and privileged to uh, acquire the collection. I, I it was really beyond my wildest dreams because as a child looking at these films, there's no way you could have told me that one day it would be mine. <laughs> no way. It's crazy. Fact, <laughs> I still consider it his collection, but it's in my possession right now. <laughs> It'll forever be his. You're, you're just uh, housing it, you know. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm just housing it forever. Yes. That's oh, that's it. beautiful. Well, this the same thing happened with mm -hmm. me with my uncle's record collection. He had this large record collection when I was a kid, and, and it was the records. Oh, wow. I would borrow them, and it's what really inspired me to have a big record collection. And eventually, not long before he passed away, he gave them to me, which was like this like momentous thing wow. for me. Like The collection that inspired mine was now technically mine, but I have done the same thing. I keep them separate. Like I don't integrate them into my stacks. That's his right, record right. collection that I'm now tending to. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. <laughs> and and it's and because it's from someone who inspired you, someone you love, it, it makes you appreciate that more. Yeah, it really does. It really does. So yes, I I will cherish these uh, these films for sure, as well, you will cherish your records. <laughs> that's right as we all cherish our physical media. So it sounds like the physical media bug bit you early and the love of movies bit you early. Do you have a oh, yeah. a vivid memory of movie going as a youth that kind of hooked you? I, I always oh, kind of yeah. ask, is there a drive-in experience? But, you know, for me, the drive-in was like um, a special treat as often as we got there, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, it was oh, really yeah. going to some of these movie houses that was more regular as a, a kid, so. Oh, yeah. Well, my first drive-in experience happened in the early 70s, and I really don't remember what movies I saw, but this one 
I remember seeing, I got a double feature I, I remember seeing, and that was at the Weststone Drive-In in Bronx, New York. It was a double feature, Superfly Part 2. I believe it was a sequel to Superfly and Lady Sings the Blues. I was eight Ooh, years old. boy. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they don't do it like that no more, baby. Uh, I, yeah, nope, they sure don't. And my first experience face-to-face -face with 35-millimeter film was at the Columbia Cinema in 1975 when Disney had uh, their re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes. That was when I was introduced to 6,000-foot reels. Oh, boy. So what, were you invited into the booth? Was it a situation where you uh, you happened to catch a glimpse? How did that all work out? Well, you know, I went to the manager as a kid, and I asked the manager if I could see the projection booth. Oh, I love it. And he had, he walked me up, and my, my mother and I were together, and he escorted us upstairs to the projection booth and introduced us to the projectionist, really good friend of mine, named Chuck Barron. And Chuck Barron showed me those 6,000-foot reels that Snow White was was housed on. And, of course, as a kid, I was just totally blown away. I was done. Stick me with a fork, baby. I'm done. <laughs> so you went from a 400-foot, 8-millimeter reel to a 6,000-foot, 35-millimeter reel. Yeah, that I couldn't carry. He took the 6,000-foot reel full of film and, and put it in my hands to see if I could try to hold it, and I couldn't hold it. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that you guys are still friends. That is so you, Jeff. You know, like, you are forever the uh, the connection and loving, uh, loving character in people's lives. Oh, it's so much fun. I remember coming into uh, the Mahoney Drive-In. I paid my money. I even paid the extra money. To, 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 to stay there, and I did not see one frame of film. <laughs> that happens every time you come, which is worth mentioning. So whenever Jeffrey comes to the lot, it's an exciting moment for all of us. We, word spreads around the whole entire crew. Hey, Jeffrey's coming tonight. Jeffrey's coming tonight. Because there is something about you that is such a light of positivity. Doesn't matter what what the weather's like, what the condition is in the world. <laughs> Jeffrey C. is coming in all smiles, all hugs, and just like lifting the night up. And it's true. We spend all night chatting and laughing in the projection booth and never watch a frame of that film, at least on the lot. You're right. Nope. Never watch a frame of film. That's exactly it. Every time he comes, it doesn't matter what the weather's doing outside because he's always in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always in the booth talking to Jeffrey number one. Jeffrey number <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. And we love it. We love it. Uh, it really oh, absolutely love it. It's a treat. And, you know, we've said it many times on this podcast, more than anything, running this drive-in and the Mahoning experience has brought us endless connections in the film community and brought us relationships and friendships that'll last a lifetime. And you are one of them. Sure. That is, is such a gift. Why don't we go back, stick back a little bit more. So what theaters yeah. did you frequent? You mentioned the indoor. Did you have some drive-ins that you regulared? As a Let me kid, see. there was the Catonsville Drive-In, which was on Route 40 in Catonsville, off of 695. 
So I went to that one, and there was another one in College Park.、Uh, that there is now a Costco's on that lot now. I forgot、yes. the name of that driving because I only went there once. But Edmontonville Driving was the one I used to frequent all the time. And of course, there's Benji's in Middle River, Maryland. Oh yeah, and oh yeah. And、uh, they 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 switched over to digital, but they 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 do show thirty five millimeter trailers and snipes every now and then. To be honest with you, that's the part I like the best. But anyway, but,、uh... <laughs> he hasn't abandoned it. You know, we talk about Benji's all the time. You know,、um, and how he runs his business. Talk about it、oh, internally、yeah. and also with customers. Um, and how he、oh, yeah. runs his business, and people do have to remember he's right on the edge of a major city, and、right. you know if he doesn't run that place as stern as possible,、uh, he、yeah. would get eaten alive, absolutely eaten alive. So, oh yeah,、um, he would. Yeah, that's amazing. He But he's so, really、um, passionate about what he does, and、uh, I certainly have to give him credit for that. He he certainly runs a tight ship. Oh yeah. Yes. So clearly, your love of film runs really deep. I'm really interested、oh, yeah. in the collecting aspect. So, do you remember the first 35 millimeter film that you actually purchased for your personal collection? Yes, I do. Yes, I do.、Um, and it was a gift, actually. It was a gift from a fellow DJ who was in Maryland. He moved to North Carolina, and he played in a nightclub that was once a movie theater. Yes, and he brought all of these film reels up because he knew I collected, and I've been I've collected actively since 1995 or 96. Yeah, and、uh, my first 35 millimeter feature was Jerry Maguire. And I got it for free from my buddy in North Carolina,、Show、Jerry McGuire. Baby, show me, show the me money. the money. <laughs> <laughs> Now my first <laughs> first thirty five millimeter films went into a place. It was July nineteen ninety five. I remember that because I put it in my database. Because <laughs> when you have a collection, you have to keep track of this. Stuff. You gotta have one, right? Gotta have one, and. Made what I called a senseless purchase. A senseless purchase is something that I had liked to do once a year, and it was something that I treated myself. It didn't have to make sense. It didn't have to be practical. I just made the purchase, spent the money because I wanted it, and I worked hard for it. That's right. Instead, I walk into a A place called Rance's Relics. That's in Maryland. Rance's Relics. What is the place? Think Sanford and Son. Okay. <laughs> I was walking around. I saw all these treasures, and then I looked down and I saw a six thousand foot reel of thirty five millimeter film. What? Staring at mind you. I didn't have a projector to run it. I had no idea of thirty five millimeter projectors being purchased by. Consumers, yeah, but I didn't care. And then I looked around. I saw another thirty-five millimeter, six thousand foot reel. I said, "Oh boy!" So I walked right up to Mister Rance. I said, uh, uh, "Sir, do you have any more of these?" 
Oh, yeah, they're, they're around here somewhere. Okay. So I went back on the treasure hunt and found two more 6,000-foot reels full of film. Four reels, four hours of film all together. Come on. No idea what was on them. Didn't care. It was going to be my senseless purchase for the year. <laughs> it will be mine. That's right. That's right. Mine. $230 later, I walked out with four reels. Not bad. Not bad. Wheeling and dealing. Yep. Yep. And I they sat for 20 years without being rammed. It's crazy. Until I got a 35-millimeter projector in the house. So did you learn to run film? How did you learn to run film? And when did you make that decision to take the step to bring a 35 into the house? Which just, if people know the setup of a 35-millimeter projector, Whew. that's well, an undertaking. Um, yeah, biggest mistake of my life. But anyway. <laughs> the bug really bit you, man. Man, it, I'll tell you, it's, it's the bug is more like a drug. Tell you, 35 millimeters is addictive. But yeah, I decided um, to actually take the collection when somebody actually offered me a 35 millimeter projector. He worked at a theater, Outwood. They had eight 35 millimeter projectors sitting there collecting dust, doing nothing. And he kept them. They were going to trash them. He said, hey, wait a minute. Can I have them? Sure. Take them. So he got them and sold me one for a very cheap price. I don't even think I paid $100 for it. Wow. He gave me a 35 millimeter projector, all the parts and everything. And you would think like 16 millimeters, you just crank the arms up and then turn on the power switch, and the motor and the light switch and it's running. No, 35 millimeter film, you have to assemble it and make adjustments. Oh my goodness. But that was that that's a that was a major undertaking. That was worth it. I have I have it up and running, and man, does it look good on the screen. What is it about 35 millimeter and especially working with it and collecting it? What is it for you that really makes it stand out or is, as you said, addictive in that way that you almost have to chase it? You know, the picture quality is just is just unbelievable. I've seen 16 and I've seen Super 8 and Standard 8. And if done right, the picture quality is very good. But there's something about the clarity of 35 millimeter film. And not only the clarity in the picture, but the extreme clarity in sound. Because of the speed of the film, there's more room for the analog sound to go. And the analog sound is in stereo. And they have the digital data printed on the film. You can have, you could have digital uh, film or digital sound, surround sound uh, 5.1 or 7.1 running in your house. And unlike 16, which I absolutely love, 35 millimeter film really looks and sounds like you're sitting in a professional movie theater. It really does. It really does. That's the sell. You know, it's 
speaking really to a younger audience on why 35 millimeter is precious and why 35 millimeter is a draw um it's yeah. difficult because they live in an age where they almost can't wrap their mind around respecting that past experience that all of us had it is beaten oh, yeah. into our brains that the 35 millimeter look feel smell touch everything about it exactly everything it is the theater experience so when when theater. that shift happened for us into digital it really robbed us of that aesthetic you know of seeing right. films so right i do right. get that i do get that in a big way yeah but you know what i like though i i really love that the kids who have never seen this technology or before or who are not exposed to that technology just look at it so wide-eyed and so fascinated at those reels spinning they really enjoyed looking at the physical medium. I've seen it at the Mahoning, and I've seen it for myself. They're really fascinated, and a lot of them just want to sit next to the projector and watch it run while they're, while they're looking at their favorite movie. So it's amazing. It's a magic mm -hmm. trick on display, and I think that is right. incredibly unique to our open-door policy, allowing people to come in and... Uh, look at the projectors and also breeze by during the show and see the guys at work. It's something oh, that yeah. can be transformative as any visit to a drive-in or movie theater or cinema uh, experience can be. But Marcus told that uh, story about being invited on a class trip and going into a projection booth. And it, it just oh, yeah, like yeah. Uh, it opens your eyes to what movies and the movie going experience is and what what's behind that you know yeah yeah and knowing what's behind it really it, it, you look at movies differently knowing what's behind the presentation and knowing what's going on it's just you're looking at the movie differently now I, at least for me anyway i mean i before i went into the booth i didn't notice cue marks or splices there were <laughs> real changes once you, no, you can on it <laughs> yeah, you, you never you never don't see those again. Sometimes I'll tell people about that. Right. And I'll say, I'm going to tell you something now, but it might just ruin theatrical movies for you forever in 35 million. Right. Because you'll <laughs> never not see it. Right, right, right. That's one of the most important things I do is leave that projection booth door open so that when people walk by, they can see that projector that's right next to the door. That, I think, is very important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it passes on the gift and love of what we do. As great as the movies are, as fantastic as the programming can be, we are a preservation house. And every night that right. somebody is on that lot, what truly makes the Mahoning special is that presentation and that 35 millimeter. And, right. you know, it's it's been well documented for us, the crossover as well of preserving a projectionist and what a projectionist does, which... You know, it's it's Ooh. something well worth preserving. And that's a good segue. Did you ever work as a professional projectionist, Jeffrey? Not really. Uh, the, the only time I worked as a professional, quote unquote <laughs> professional, was one time, that one Halloween weekend at the Mahoning. Oh, my gosh. What an honor. <laughs> I See, I always assumed that was you a, had honor. this, like, long run of working at theaters and, you know, you came in and out and then you eventually <laughs> landed in the uh, the collector scene and started running stuff for, for Dave and the Monster Mania. 
it's uh, that's why I love doing this podcast. It really does open the door to somebody's uh, history and like uh, brightens that a bit. Oh, I tell you, and you know what? I I had always wanted to be a projectionist, but they but they always had the unions and 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 it was very very tight knit, and so I I couldn't get in. I said, "Oh well, I might as well try something else." But 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 the passion of movies was still there, and I still collected. And I I guess I would say all the shows that I have done over the years, I, I guess I I should consider that quote unquote professional. I mean, technically that is professional. I'm I'm getting hired to set up equipment and run film. That's right. Every show right. you put on, that's a success. That's that's a job well done. You had a good point about uh, the union because back then, uh, even the Mahoning Drive-In Theater was a union projection booth. So unless you had a license right. and were a member of the union, you had no chance of being a projectionist. Right, right, right. I could not do it. I could not do it. Yeah, not like these kids today. You know, these kids, 15, 16 years old, they get it. they get a job and then work the popcorn and refreshment stands and then go upstairs to the booth and press a button and that's it you know oh yeah right and that's why it's a lost that's why it's a lost art because there's no right. skill involved anymore anybody can press no. a button and then adjust the sound and you walk away from it and leave it alone right 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 anybody, anybody can, can do be it. to do that but to run 35 millimeter you have to have some skill involved right and some troubleshooting skills as well absolutely oh, absolutely oh yeah and that's the thing is, you know, I see it. Not anybody can be a projectionist. I think you really do have to have a specific skill set and more importantly, a, a patience to work with this material. Because uh, as uh, speaking of the new generation, everything's user friendly. Everything is one step. Everything is intuitive where right. learning a trait and working with a machine that is very specific it's a lost idea for a certain amount of people where it's like, yeah, I couldn't even wrap my head around wrapping film into this thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And how about building a presentation? I mean, right now you just click and drag your, 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 your trailers along with your feature, but as a projectionist, you had to actually splice all the reels together, multiple reels together and then put the, Splice multiple trailers at the top and snipes and everything else. That yep, was and, a skill. I, and as a collector, you got to locate all those trailers first. <laughs> <laughs> Digging through piles. And... Yeah, that's locate in terms of buying and acquiring and then also locating them in your house. Where the hell? Yes. Yes. Where, where did I put that snipe? <laughs> right, right. Where did as difficult as storing film is, you know, the storing of trailers and you know finding them for your use it's just it's crazy you know there was oh, never a uh, an easy system filing system anything like that it's just you know anytime you need something you're just digging oh yeah yeah i uh, acquired quite a few trailers probably probably 2500 trailers back in 2018 and i'm still going through them god i love it it's awesome oh yeah so I'm we uh we had the 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 pleasure of talking to Dave from the Lunar Drive-In. He said that there were years as a film collector that he um, had to keep his mouth shut. And he almost felt that he couldn't even share the fact that he had these prints because 
Um, he thought the studios would get upset about it, but now there has been quite a shift over the last, uh, you know, now going on 10 years since the digital shift that private collectors are really looked at as an asset in the 35 millimeter community and now has been embraced by the studio system. Uh, so much so that Dave told us a story that he sold one of his 35 millimeter prints and it turns out it was going to a major studio for them to have in their archive. <laughs> wow. How about that? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, and we even requesting film, you know, there's many times where we will say we're sourcing this print from a private collection and it's, it saves them on the, uh, the hassle of having to go and dig it up and inspect it and all that. I mean, they still yeah, get the percentage that. or their their rental fee, and they right, just don't have right. to deal with shipping and receiving and storing and cataloging and all that stuff. So they're just, yeah, it's it's interesting because I had heard that years ago, it was banded about that uh, if you had any New World's films, New World cinema prints, old corner mm-hmm. films, uh, the word on with the street in the collector's world was that uh, they would seize those and bandsaw them because they didn't want anybody it's their property they didn't want anybody else owning it and there was a great book called a thousand cuts a few years ago that was about the world of film collectors and how it was this underground thing for many years and there were fbi raids and people wanted because they were collectors did you ever did you collect in that sense of under that shadow at any point or by the time you were collecting was it much more mellow yeah yeah by the time i started collecting it was 96 so everybody it was much more mellow. I did not have to worry about that. And uh, I didn't find out about any of that until years later. And I heard Roddy McDowell, for example, yes. I believe his, uh, his, uh, he was raided. And somebody dropped a dime on him about his collection. And he was raided and films are confiscated. Crazy. And there's a few other people, too, that were investigated for having movie collections. And for the longest time, a lot of collectors were pretty cagey about what they even owned. Like, if they trusted oh, yeah. you, they would tell you what prints they had because they didn't want it to get back to the studios who might try right. to reclaim that property. Oh, yeah. yeah. It oh, makes yeah. total sense. You know, I just brought it up because for that reason, Mark, is did that affect your decision as far as where you purchase things, letting people rent them out and loaning them out? I feel like that that kind of uh, pressure or worry has been lifted almost fully at this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, it sounds like a total 180 degree as far as studios go. Because now to hear that they are really appreciating and embracing film collectors or, or archivists, really, then that's that's a wonderful thing. It's a win-win situation for all of us, really, for everyone. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Your love of film, as we, we've talked about, it runs very deep uh, almost throughout your whole entire life. Oh, yeah. I have certainly uh, taken inspiration from your passion for film. But one thing I blatantly stole from you, we started, <laughs> um, and I'm going to give you credit for it now. It was a print of Fort Apache, the Bronx. Time you look for it, gone. <laughs> right. We have a wall of fame, as we call it, at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater of signed film reels. Ah, yes. Literally the coolest thing I may have ever seen in my life happened on maybe that first time I met you or or the second time at Monster Mania. When you came up and you tell the story, you had a signed 
I don't know if it was a canister yeah. or a reel, but it blew my hair back. Yeah, I don't know which film I had, but I, I have uh, uh, quite a few signed prints uh, of film. I might have been, you know what? I might have brought Night of the Living Dead with me that That night. was it. That was it. Yes, I had Night of the Living Dead signed. You know, it's a <laughs> funny story about this one. I was at a, another horror movie conference here in Maryland. It was horrifying by the Lake Michael Roden, rest in peace. He had the horrifying conference and he had guests from various, well, what horror movie conference doesn't. So we were showing The Living Dead on a big inflatable blow up screen outside, just beautiful night. And it's three reels. Now the way I run movies, if, if one reel ends, boom, go right into another. No interruptions. Yep. So this time, I let the reel run out. Reel one. One is 20 minutes. I let the film run out. The outdoor lights came on. Nowhere coming in front of the screen was the entire cast of Night of the Living Dead. No. Yep. Oh, my God. The entire cast, and they were all fascinated that there was a film print of Night of the Living Dead being shown of a movie they had starred in or played in some yeah. years early. So I've had the pleasure of them all autographing the print, and it's all on the front can right now. Thank you. Boy, boy, if we were on TV, I'm getting this right now. Yep, there it is. So I'm Jeez. looking, I'm, <laughs> I'm having this, I'm holding this canister in my hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so 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 much like it was one of those things that I saw and I was like this is the coolest thing ever like when you approach a uh, celebrity guest at one of these conventions it is like it's a corral you know they've been talking to yeah. people for days and right. you know probably like the pro tip is to find a way to stand out find a way to to walk up to a star with a 35 print, it must just blow right. people's hair back. Is is that um, really a does. thing of yours? I mean, being in the Monster Mania scene for so long, God, I imagine oh, yeah. the experiences are crazy. But are you an autograph oh, yeah. guy? Are you a celebrity guy? No, I'm not a big autograph guy, except for when it comes to signing films. Yeah. <laughs> and I started, <laughs> I, I, I was, I said, wait a minute things signed so so that's when i became an autograph guy in that respect that's and so good i got the bug when i got my first movie signed 16 millimeter film signed in 2003 and that was kevin mccarthy the movie was called the invasion of the body snatchers yes. which we are playing this year for our remote oh, yeah. oh, oh i love it oh yeah that's great yeah i'll be that's there for great. that and so, you know, I, as a certificate of authenticity, I asked Mr. McCarthy to pose with me with the signed film can in, in a picture. And we still had that picture. In fact, it's on Facebook. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the Mahoning connection, the Mahoning memories. So I take it the first time you heard about us was, was at that connection at Monster Mania? 
Yes, yes, it was Monster Mania. Yeah, and I could not wait to get there. It was early 2018, I think March 2018, when I heard of Mahoney. And that's when I met you guys at the table. It feels like a lifetime ago. Do you remember um, the first pilgrimage that you made to uh, to the Mahoney? Oh, yeah, sure do. That was the closing night, October 2018. And you had a double feature, uh, Scream and The Craft. Yes, which we actually brought back. Uh, yes, yes. That is one that we, uh, we will certainly bring back in the future. And what was your experience um, coming to the Mahoning compared to maybe some of your childhood uh, driving experiences? Oh, man, totally blown away. I mean, like I said, that was the experience where I did not see one frame of film. That's when I met Jeff. And that's when I met everyone else and most of the staff. I was in that booth the whole night. In fact, it was raining out there that, or not raining, but it was wet. It was wet out that night, too. I Money. remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, you were in there mm -hmm. the whole Yep. Yep, I was in there the whole time, did not watch one frame of film. That was my experience at the, at the Mahoning Drive-In. It was the best one because I got to hang out in the booth the whole night. Yeah. Instead of being a normal person sitting in the car enjoying the film. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> For some people, they are so, it almost feels like they've been a part of the family when they come in. You know, it's like, well, this oh, guy's going to be here. And that was certainly the case when uh, you came on board. Again, you're such a uh, a positive guy. Where does that come from, by the way? Like, I really do um, aspire <laughs> to, to be a Jeffrey C. every day I wake up. <laughs> you know what? It, it, it just takes less energy to be happy. It takes too much energy to be pissed off. I don't have a lot of energy, so I'll just be happy and, and, and save my energy. <laughs> I so, so love that because just like everybody in life, You've had, you know, uh, the ups, the downs, and you do not wear any of that on your sleeve. And that's what I, I really do love about you. So I, I want to give the guys a chance to talk a little bit about film with you before we jump over into your other life, DJ Jeffrey C. Oh, um, yeah. So, Jeff, do you got anything for Jeffrey? I'm trying to think of a couple good questions. Nothing right off the tip of my head. You hit it pretty good, Virgil. It's always been a pleasure to have Jeff around. We always look forward to him coming up because it's just, uh, you know, the atmosphere in the booth because he's always cracking jokes. He's always having a good time. He really lifts the spirit of the place. And uh, I assume you're already planning to come up a couple times this year, huh, Jeff? Oh, yeah. Starting with the starting with opening night. Wizard of Oz and Willy Wonka. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want Great. to see those beautiful LPP prints. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I I know you. You probably won't see a frame of film. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I'll be looking at a frame of film in the lights. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. There you go. That's the a nice white view. right there. Yeah, the, the porthole view. That's right. <laughs> Best view in the house, right? Yep. Yeah, look, admiring the soundtrack, you know? Oh, that's a variable density soundtrack right there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> stop. Look at that squiggle. <laughs> look at that squiggle. Wow, is that, is that double ranked? Oh, <laughs> Yowzers. Well, how, how about you? Uh, how about you, Mark? Any questions for well, 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 Jeff tries to think up good questions. I'll ask a, a couple of terrible ones. First of all, you, you, you're, you're dropping the jargon. 
Foxholes. I heard you mention Foxholes. On oh, Foxholes. And I don't yeah. know if we ever talked about that on the show before, but this is a great time. What, what are Yeah, foxholes? you let us know what Foxholes were. You opened up this Foxhole for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Foxholes are holes that are smaller than the traditional 35 millimeter sprocket hole. And it's for the purpose of making room for a magnetic soundtrack. And because a lot of films, most of, most of the films have soundtracks. But there are films that have magnetic soundtracks. And to make room for the magnetic soundtrack, they had to change the size of the hole to, to, to accommodate for the magnetic soundtrack. So it's a square, it's a square hole as versus a rectangular hole on traditional 35 millimeter film. Why did they call it foxhole? Because 20th Century Fox started it. Yeah, I believe. Yep, right. that's why they call them foxhole. It was very popular with 20th Century Fox. They will not fit a standard sprocket because, uh, right, Jeff, right. you brought one of your prints up once, uh, a little piece of one, so that we could try it. And unless I, you have a Fox sprocket, so to speak, you can't run right. those films. That's right. You can't can't run them because, like you said, they'll 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 damage the film. A yes. regular sprocket will damage the foxhole print. So yeah. Yes. Yep. And for anyone uninformed, optical track, which you said is, is what is on most prints, are the little squiggles we referred to. Sometimes you've seen that represented on, on TV or video. And mm -hmm. magnetic track is literally that. It's a strip of magnetic tape, like an old audio cassette you would have in your car or your boombox right. uh, that runs along the uh, along the film. And it's a contact. Instead of a light shining through it, it's a contact like, like again, any tape deck. There you go. My next question, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a two-parter sort of. Mm -hmm. Is there any print that is the one that got away for you? Ooh. And what print in your collection is your holy grail, if if you're willing to tell us what your holy grail is? <laughs> or or, the, the, or like that, the, the crowning jewel, let's say, the crowning jewel of your collection. Ah, the print that got away very easily because it was very recent. Warner Brothers reissue Dolby Stereo Mylar The Exorcist. Oh. Oh. I, I know, it hurt. <laughs> it still hurts. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I can tell you. We we can relate. We're on the same page. The Exorcist. I saw it on eBay, and I said, "I'm going to go for this." And I waited and waited and waited. I didn't bid on it because I didn't want to get into a bidding war with anyone to raise the price Playing higher the than what it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Playing the game. I said, <laughs> "I still have a mortgage on my house, so I will." <laughs> Much rather pay the mortgage than afford it. So let's not get into a bidding war to raise the price. Yeah. I'm going to bid on the film and very high bid because I wanted it. Yeah. And lost the bid. I said, okay, that's, that's fine. That's the nature of the beast. But what really got me, what really got my goat was the bid never went through. Uh, uh, that. Hurt. Oh, oh bro. You're left there clicking. Oh, I was so mad. I deleted eBay off my phone. I just stopped. <laughs> I just get in. Close my account. I was so mad. 
he gave up collecting entirely. Well, I gave up eBay entirely. <laughs> Never again. Uh, well, then I end up bidding on something else. And for those who don't know, I mean, the significance of the, the Exorcist brand, Friedkin doesn't allow 35 millimeter public screenings of The Exorcist. So really, the only way that you're going to enjoy it is if you got a home projector and you got a private print and oh, that right. one hurts. Got to wait. Yeah, that, that hurt. That one hurt. Now, my holy grail. Now, that's a little harder. Would say in 16, I would have to probably put it in gauges. In 16, I would have to say a very nice color scope print of the Goonies. It's like a license to print money, that Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I got it from a friend of mine in Columbus back in 2000, I think. I had a show in Columbus back in 2000. I've had that print since. And from what I understand, it's very rare for that title to have it in low fade color and scope in 16. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Fantastic. Oh man. And my Holy Grail 35. Well, that's now that's even harder. I'm looking at the pile of 35 right now. And I'm trying to find the Holy Grail print. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, certain well, ones always have that special meaning, you know. Even in uh, my my vinyl collection, the the one that means the most to me isn't necessarily the most valuable, you know. Right, right, right. right. Wow, that's a that's a rough one. I have a I have quite a few uh, stuff in thirty five. I probably have about fifty feature films right now. Oh, big mistake! I have no room in the house. <laughs> storage, <laughs> the storage. Right. Yes. I tell you, let me see. Let's let's choose Avatar. Yes, let's. Ooh, choose that's Avatar. a good one. Yeah. yeah. All ten reels. Is it a three D print? Uh, no, it's not a. It's, I wish it was a 3D print, an over and under print. No. But it, do it's you own regular. any 3D prints? Not yet, but I do have a 3D lens, 3D projector lens, which was so you, gifted to me. One in so New you're York. ready. You're ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. And I have the 3D glasses, the real 3D glasses. Somebody who was shutting a theater down li literally gave me a box of real 3D glasses. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great you just wear them out to the grocery store you got so many you're like this is just my style now <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'm telling you I, you know the the, the the unique thing is that the 3d lens was originally used for friday the 13th part three that's right which we which we've seen were you at that screening mark the colonial screening no but i've been to other contemporary screenings of that and that was it's got the paramount logo on that lens attachment right exactly yep it has a paramount logo on the lens wild that has all, all the directions and everything i think we have one wow. of those too actually we, it, it came with one of the film collections we bought it comes in its own case like a yep. comes in its own case yeah her sturdy case it's got all the attachments it's got all the the paperwork and it's got that yep. nice you know blue on white paramount logo on the side such a That's niche it. piece of film history i love it Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, film collecting is fun. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's get into it. Um, you know, it really blew the minds of many of the patrons, regulars, and staff at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater 
to hear that you have a whole other side life as DJ Jeffrey C. <laughs> so, you know, like, yeah. we know you love film. We know you collect. We know you do this projectionist thing. Who are you, man? <laughs> <laughs> How did you well, get into I... this whole, uh, whole world? My goodness. Well, my other passion, which is music. I used to play trumpet all from middle school all through high school. And I got my... That was my understanding of music. I got my love of music from being raised in the musical family. My my parents sang. uh, We listened to a variety of uh, music. We grew up mostly on jazz, classic rock, R&B, anything, whatever it was. We listened to quite a few genres of music in the house. So I developed this passion for music and also, moreover, a passion for just Taking existing songs and manipulating them would later we would later call remixing them. Yeah. And that's how I started. That's how I started was mixing and making cassette tapes. And then I would take these cassette tapes to these high school parties, would crash these parties. I was never invited to any of them because I was a little nerdy kid. But this little nerdy kid had the baddest sex. Whoa! The boys bringing the beats. <laughs> Boy bringing the the beats. Oh yes, the nerd is bringing the beats. Yes. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! explode. So that went on. Finally, somebody said, "You know, there's a local radio station that's accepting remixes from from listeners. Have you considered submitting a tape to the radio station?" EBB AM Baltimore right there Clifton and Denison streets at the time it was once owned by the late James Brown wow so I submitted a cassette tape I still have that tape it's on a TDK tape TDK C60 tape high bias I still have it it still plays I submitted that tape to the radio station they played it and the date they played it was memorable because it was april 1st you're like is this really happening or (laughs) yep yep as soon as i graduated high school i'd say almost a year after i graduated high school and i graduated in 82 april 1st 1983 was my debut on radio they played the tape why do i remember that date because it was april fool's day and no one would believe me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> calling everybody like you'll never believe it yeah 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 i'm on the radio yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> so i started submitting mixes to the radio station and because of that i started becoming very popular as a dj and that my association with the AM radio station, a very popular AM radio station, was giving me parties. I was getting parties that I normally wouldn't get. And that really helped pay my way through school, through college. And I was getting records from the record store. And I started making so many connections from my association with radio. I joined a record pool. Now was paying a monthly fee for uh, a small monthly fee for a whole lot of records 
So I was paying a fraction of the cost I was paying from going to a record store. Just join a record pool. Then I joined up with WPGC 95.9 in Washington, D.C. I was a mixed show DJ. I played on Friday nights along with Al B.D. He's still doing what he's doing very well, I might add. Yeah. And I played at WPGC for, wow, about five, six years. And it was from that point on, I started making connections with like a lot of people, major record labels, and major record companies, and getting records directly from the horse, from the source, I should say. Yeah. Remixes. I've had my first studio mix in 88. And I started doing remixes for Warner Brothers, Columbia, EMI, and Atlantic, Atlantic Records. And on that, that helped me through school. So yeah, DJing was just another, just just parallel with the film, you know. Just another passion, another outlet, another means yeah. to express. And it's funny because uh, during the DJing, during that time, I had the passion to film, but the film took a back seat because I was so busy with school and then DJing and everything. But I still had that passion for film. It was it was right it was right there. Just the beast fell asleep. <laughs> and so I've been DJing. Sometimes you have to jockey back and forth between the two because I know in my career, sometimes the radio station was the main job and the theater job was the backup job. And then other years, the theater was the main job and the radio station was the backup job. So you sometimes yeah. have to swing both directions. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right, right. That is very true. Very true. So I have a uh, recent success. I've had a couple of number one songs in the last year or so. And now I've been really busy with music, working on an album right now. I have one more song, and then I have an album. So. I That's love great. it. That's great. The fire, the fire, it's it's just always burning, man. You know, you are you are constant creativity. You are an anomaly. You really... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just like, of crazy. course he's a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, we want to give uh, give you the opportunity to let people be able to find you so they can hear the music. Where can they find your music to tune in? Sure, they can hear me on two radio stations. Actually, yeah, two radio stations and my own TV channel. Two radio stations are handsonradio.fm. That's every Tuesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And also on PressureRadio.com, that's every Wednesday from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. And I have a Twitch channel, and you can catch me either on Fridays or Saturdays. It depends on how the wind blows. Well, I haven't, haven't have a steady show yet there, but that's typically between 3 and 5 p.m., either fr on Friday or Saturday. That's great. That's fantastic. All these opportunities is making me twitch. <laughs> you set it up on a tee for him <laughs> that's great <laughs> oh i love it so much it, it, you have so much going on you know it, it really is uh such a gift your presence and uh inclusion here at the mahoning drive and in our family so uh is there anything else that you want to let people know as far as uh projects you got going on things on the burner I'm so excited about this album. It really, you know what it is? It makes me wonder why the heck 
have we not had you out to DJ yet? <laughs> I should bring a, a couple of pieces of vinyl and, and, and have a little fun. No joke. You would exactly. crush. We have guest DJs yeah. all the time. DJ, you're an actual DJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That would be fun. We'd have to we'd have to make that work. So uh that that'll be a lot of fun. I can come oh. and hang out with you guys. Oh, love yeah. hanging out with you guys. All day. The, oh man, but projects I so I'm working on an album. And I am working on, I just got finished a record, uh, a collaboration from uh, uh, with a guy named Dan Shiver, a.k.a. DJ Dan Dan from New Jersey. And the song is called Adrenaline Rush. Adrenaline Rush. Get you going. And, yeah, it, it was his idea. It was his idea for the project. Dan said, hey, Jeffrey. I have this idea for a song. I mean, the way you, you do your music and every time you play your music and every time I play your songs, it has so much energy. It, it, it's like an adrenaline rush. I want to make a song called Adrenaline Rush. I said, wow, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> so, so Dan, tell you what I'll do. You send me send me the, the vocals. I don't care what you do. Just say adren Adrenaline Rush a couple of times. I'll handle it from there. And so I just finished it last night. You're a wizard. <laughs> you are a wizard. It's a lot of fun. So it, it, this is going to be Dan's first record. So I'm going to be helping him through all, all the business stuff and everything like that. Because he, he wants to get his, his, his foot into production now. He's a, been a DJ for a number of years. But now he wants to get into the, the songwriting and, and the production. So I'm going to go ahead and, and take him under my wing, so to speak, and walk them through the process of, of that. But that's uh, so far, that's all I have. But there's probably going to be a lot more down the road for sure. Always inspiring. It's really great. Um, and again, we can't thank you enough for all the help that you've also given us, whether it's locating prints, actually lending <laughs> us prints, delivering prints. Yes. <laughs> the list goes on and on. You know, your, uh, your friendship, it, it means the world. And we're better having you, that's for sure. Absolutely. You guys are truly a blessing, truly a blessing. And, and any excuse to get over there, even if I have to lend or deliver a print, as long as I get to see you guys, happy. All right. Great. <laughs> the best. Well, we can't wait to see you opening weekend and uh, having a blast once again. And uh, I think on that note, Jeff, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field. And most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night and God bless you.